guys, Montel here. Welcome to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. Today's guest is going to be really, really good, so I'm going to make sure you tune into the show. I've got Mr. Chris Hahn on. Chris Hahn is a radio talk show host. He's also the host of the Progressive Progressive Podcast, which airs on all places you can get podcasts. And he's really, really a, one of those free thinkers that we need right now at a time when this country really, I think, is a little bit on the lost side. But before we get to him, before I introduce him, I want to tell you, I, like a lot of you, may have been doing, but I've been caught up with the TV all morning long in the last couple of days, catching some of the hearing that's been held and the discussions have been held around, you know, uh, the nomination of Amy uh, Coney Barrett as a, a jurist on the Supreme Court and have been listening to a lot of her answers and have been really, really just, you know, I'm one of these people who hopes that you know, when Biden, when Harris do win, I hope that they do stack the Supreme Court and add on three more justices to the Supreme Court, at least three more, so that you know, rather than having, you know, eight, we have 11. Right? Because honestly, I think that what has happened in the last four years with Donald Trump, he has stacked the court, not only the Supreme Court, but he's stacked all the federal courts across the country with jurists that he has selected. And some of them who really just are borderline qualified to be in the position that they're in. I think that this country really needs to have, you know, a broader swath of opinions making decisions about our constitution. And I think it's really important that, you know, we allow them to do that. And I know a lot of people are afraid of this, but I got to tell you, the way Trump has stacked the court over the last four years, I think that, you know, the if the Democrats get in, they have an opportunity to expand the court to 11 and um, give us a broader swath of people, not stacking it so that every decision comes out as a progressive or democratic decision, but give us a broader base of people to draw opinions from. I mean, when you sit back and you listen to Amy Comey Barrett, who talks about herself as being an originalist when it comes to the Constitution, I think that people need to stop for a second and recognize what that term really even means. That means that she believes that we should look at the Constitution and read the words that were written 300 years ago and take those words as sacrosanct. Don't expand them to make them or make you think that, you know, they are words that we can adjust with the time, she thinks that we should read those words and believe in them the way they are. Well, if we read those words and believed in them the way they were, Black people were enslaved. And so if we want to go back to originalists, that means that we want to go back to a time when it was okay to enslave people. We want to go back in time to when those words were originally written. Women had to walk one step behind their husband. And if that's what she wants, that may be the world that she gets to live in, but not the world that everybody else wants to live in. If she wants to go back to originalist, well, let's think about, you know, my other podcast, which is Let's Be Blunt with Montel, which talks about everything and anything cannabis and hemp. Well, remember that the Constitution was written on hemp paper. And back then, the majority of our forefathers grew and sold and uh, 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 trafficked in business of hemp, then therefore we should make hemp legal again today. But that's not what she's going to want to do. This whole idea of going back to the original words of the Constitution is just going back to the words that only a small sect of America wants 
and it's a small sect that she lives in. So let's remember, as we're looking at what's happening and we're looking at the Supreme Court, you know, don't think that this is a nanny-nanny boo-boo on the part of the Democrats when they say they want to add more justices to the Supreme Court. They want to make sure that we have a Supreme Court that is equal and fair, not one that has been stacked against anybody who doesn't believe the same things that Donald Trump believes. And I'm going to ask this as a question of my guest today and see what he thinks, because, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's time for us to wake up in this country and recognize that we are getting ready to go into the most important election that we have had to date as Americans. I think that, you know, if in fact this president gets reelected, America will have seen its best days. I think that we are looking at a country that won't be a democratic society any longer. Um, And I know that we will be a country that has lost its full standing in the world because we already have done that. So now we need to get somebody in office that will put us back in a place where at least we're respected as a nation. And that respect can only come if we get Donald Trump out of office. So again, welcome today's guest, who is an attorney, a radio show host, a host of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast, a policymaker in his own right, but he spent years working for Chuck Schumer um, on important issues like Homeland Security, domestic policy, economic development. You heard me on his show last week, and I'm really excited to have him with us here on Free Thinking. So please welcome Mr. Chris Hahn. Chris, thanks so much for being a part of the show today, sir. Thanks for having me. It's my honor to be here with you. Oh, absolutely, sir. I guess, you know, I, I, I have a million questions and a million directions of going with you. Let me just start with this one. I know you have been watching, you know, the debacle that seems to be going on with this confirmation of Amy Coleman Barrett, uh, uh, Amy Cohen Barrett, who uh, really poses, I think, probably one of the greatest threats to the ACA that we've had so far, if she gets confirmed, and we know she's going to probably get confirmed, I mean, you know, um, Yesterday, they basically said unequivocally, you know, the Republicans are going to vote her in and Democrats are going to vote no, yeah. but she'll pass. So, I mean, what do you think? And I'm a, I have MS myself. I'm a father of a daughter who, you know, courageously beat cancer two times. And, you know, losing the ACA, man, I'm telling you, it keeps me up at night because, I mean, all they can just throw me off the books and, I, I, and throw me along with, you know, right now, uh, you know, you hear politicians let it roll across their lips when they say one third of the American population has a pre-existing condition, but that's as of today. Mm. We know within the next four years, it'll be two thirds of American population will have at least one or possibly two pre-existing conditions. That means that we only have a third of the population that's going to be you know, on some sort of rolls for healthcare. Come on, man. I mean, what do we gotta do to, to make this woman number one who has seven kids understand that she alone, her family will also be affected if they get rid of the ACA. Yeah, I think it's a travesty. Uh, Clearly the Republican party does not care about what the voters want. They have their own philosophy, their own theories, uh, their own benefactors who are not necessarily the people of the United States of America. And they're going to push her through no matter what. I always find it hilarious that people who call themselves originalists say, oh, no, we're not interpreting the Constitution or the laws with any policy motivation. Always find out that the strict construction of those laws 
fits perfectly with their policy constructions. And that's who Amy Coney Barrett is. I made the mistake of calling her Amy Coney Bryant the other day on Fox, but it's, uh, it, it's amazing to me that this is going to happen. Now, I wouldn't count my justices before they're sworn in. If I was the president or the Republican Party, a lot can happen, as we know, over the last three weeks. A lot of things have changed in this country uh, dramatically. Uh, but yeah, she looks like she's steamrolling right through. And I think when uh, when the people see this woman seated and understand the ramifications, as you so uh, clearly laid out, to their own health care, uh, I think that you're going to see that be a negative for Republicans going forward. I think the Democrats are doing the right thing in this hearing, focusing squarely on the impact of the ACA that was all over their opening statements yesterday. It was all over the questioning that I've seen so far. And I imagine they're going to continue that. And, and that's a very important feature uh, of this hearing. And it was clearly important and worked for them in their favor in 2018. And I think that the way the polls are looking right now, it's going to work for them in 2020. You know, but I, I got to come back. You know, you just brought it up, the originalist. And I think we ought to discuss that a little bit more. If she's such an originalist, then she would probably be, you know, very prone to overturn all legislation that's against hemp and cannabis. Because, you know, as originalists, all the forefathers who wrote the Constitution were growers of hemp marketers of hemp they traded in hemp so and they smoked hemp and um, the constitution was written on hemp <laughs> correct so if you're such an originalist does that mean that therefore she has to walk one step behind her husband and all other women should do so with her mm. I mean, how can we accept someone to make a comment like that and and nobody even reacted to it. I mean, come on, you know, this was a time when, you know, we didn't have toilets, you know, you didn't have air conditioning, you didn't have heat. So if you're such an originalist and you want to go back to the way you think they thought back then. I think that the bottom line is, Montel, the originalist theory of interpretation of the Constitution is really just ridiculous. Um, the, the founders themselves understood that this would need to be changed, that it was a living, breathing document. That's why they created a Supreme Court to interpret the laws. There is a, uh, you know, this is just their way of saying whatever we want to do, we're going to find an excuse based in the founding of this nation. You make some excellent points about where we were. You know, these are these are people, some of whom died with leeches attached to their arms. Uh, because they were they thought that that was medicine. So there is, you know, I, I'm not questioning the genius of our founders. Their system has endured and created stability, which has allowed this country to prosper. But they themselves understood that times changed. They were the epitome of times changing in their own day. And they understood that they would not be the last to change. So they find uh, meaning within the words to nicely fit their policies, whatever those policies are. So I am, uh, you know, I'm done with it. I think that the American people are done with it. I think the Democrats are going to take control of the Senate and the presidency, and they're going to have to make some changes because I think the minority rule that has gripped this country for the past four years, really for the past, you know, 12 of the last 16 years or so, it's time for that to end. Uh, and, and it's time for the Democrats to make sure that the majority's voices, and, and again, I don't want to discount uh, the minority in this country, whatever they may be. 
but I think I think that we're it's time for us to have a, a country that more adequate accurately reflects the, the views of the majority of Americans. And that means we want affordable care house. We want affordable health care. We want pre-existing conditions covered. We would like to see cannabis made legal. We would like to see uh, uh, marriage equality maintained, civil rights maintained. We'd like to see people's ability to vote in this country maintained. This court, uh, you know, in a 5-4 ruling, basically struck down the Voting Rights Act, which is why we're seeing, you know, 11-hour lines in Atlanta for people wanting to come out there and exercise the franchise. Do you think the founders would have appreciated that? Where's the originalists on that? You think the founders wanted people to wait 11 hours to vote? It is nonsense. But that said, the founders didn't want you to vote if you didn't own property. Right. And you, and you look at what's going on in Texas, the fact that a court then upheld the ruling that they only had to have one drop box for per county. That yeah. is absolutely asinine and ridiculous. So I, I have to ask you, you know, it's a weird question, but I think I asked it on your show. At the end of the day, what do these people really want? Have you been able to figure this out for yourself? Because I'm telling you, I'm having a hard time. I mean, it's like I, I watched two rallies with Trump this week, one in, at the White House with Hispanic and African-American people present. And I was like literally blown away by the number of people of color who actually believe that this guy is not the racist that he is walking around, the pure racist that he is. And all of his followers are too. And I'm not going to say that openly without any hesitation because I believe what racist is as racist does. Mm. And, you know, just like stupid is as stupid does. And, you know, if in fact you follow a racist and believe in them, then you yourself have racism in your heart, period. But I can't fathom how a person who heard their lineage be disparaged the way they've heard their lineage be disparaged would still support this guy to today. And then I saw a rally last night in Florida I, and I'm, you know, I'm coming to you from Miami. I was completely blown away. I, I mean, literally, I listened. I, you know, I try. I, I tried really hard, my brother. I cut it on. I, I sit there for like two minutes with Fox, and I, I don't want to pull my eyebrows out. But I listen, and you know, I, I, you just you don't have to be a kindergartner to understand that the man who is up there speaking to you is. Dolt isn't the right term. Uh, idiot isn't the right term. This is just a person who is literally so far out that I can't believe that you can listen to more than two minutes of what comes out of his mouth without going, are you effing kidding me? Yet these people are sitting there screaming and hollering and acting like they're at a rock concert. Mm. And then after I watch it, I say to myself, but at the end of the day, what is it that they want? Do you want a country that is a separatist country? Do you want to go back to owning people? Would you prefer to have a country where there are slaves and, you know, that group of people that were out there in that group screaming for him aren't going to be the haves. They're going to be the have not. So they're mm -hmm. going to be slaves too. So do we want slavery again? Do you want to be able to walk down the street and indiscriminately shoot a person if you choose to? Do you want to be able to walk up and grab a woman the way Trump says he wants to do it. And that fool had the nerve to say last night, I feel like kissing all the women and all the women. What? I mean, what, can you figure out, I know you've had discussions, you go on Fox, you talk to them, what do they want? I think they want something to belong to. I think to them, this is their club. That has been uh, the draw to Trump. These are people who have 
felt put upon their entire life. They've always looked for somebody to blame. And now here's this guy that comes along whose name they know because he's a celebrity. And he's telling them it's okay to complain and to have grievance against the media, against government, against people who have, against celebrities who try to tell them how to live their lives. I mean, this is their club now. It's a shrinking club, Montel. I, uh, you know, I, I do not believe that that club is more than 42% of the United States of America. And I think that the rest of this country is going to stand up and kick this guy out this year. Um, but that's what they want. I think it's tribalism at its best because this man, look, he's had five different positions on every single issue since he, you know, came down the escalator. He, you know, I mean, even last week, you want to talk about the stimulus for COVID-19. He said in the middle of the week, we're not going to have a stimulus. Then he said, let's have a $1.8 trillion stimulus. Now he's saying, I want a bigger stimulus than the Democrats are offering. Uh, that's three positions on a very important issue that's before the Congress right now that he's had in one week. He's the president of the United States. He should be leading the discussion of this. So the people that are attracted to him are per- attracted to him for tribalism. They just don't want the other side to win no matter what. But I think the rank and file, the regular, you know, the people you see with the Trump's, the Trump flags are out there. They're just looking for a place to belong. And that's a deeper problem I think we have in society where we are kind of in a situation where people just need to belong to something no matter what it is. I don't think everybody, I don't don't think everybody who supports him is a racist, Montel, but I do think they don't care that racists are in their coalition. And I have a real problem with that. And I have a real problem with the way he panders to racism in this country. And it's something that keeps me up at night. But it's a scary proposition when you say it that way, because that means that, you know, you don't care about the kid who's 17 years old who gets an AR-15, walks down the street and shoots two people. Yeah. You don't care about the person who, you know, uh, uh, tries to shoot a person from a distance just because they are protesting. Mm-hmm. I get the fact that they just want to belong to something. But, you know, what is that old saying about be careful what you wish for? So you belong to something you put him back in office. And I, I tell you, I try my best, my friend, to not be a fatalist. I try my best to be a positive thinker, but I just, you know, every day when I, I see, you know, I turn on CNN and I hear some of the pundits there going over the polls. I like to say, I feel like reaching in the screen and smacking them right upside the head. Stop with the polling. It is as ignorant as it can ever be because it's really just a snapshot of that one particular minute in time. It's not a snapshot of reality in America. We saw what happened in 2016. The polls were way off. I think the polls are way off again. I mean, the only reason why I say this is because, and I'm not trying to disparage anybody, but I have, you know, my, my, my wife is Caucasian. She's from Tennessee. I have family members who are her family members who are, you know, die and drive hood, hood rats. I mean, just like, you know, gangbangers. I mean, they are going to die and drive with Trump no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it, it throws me into my heart. I'm like, you know, I know these people. I, I've broken bread with them. I've had meals with them. But they think that Trump is really the end to all. And that's all of them. I mean, it, it's not like three or four. I'm talking about, you know, the whole family lineage there is going to be a Trump supporter. This is from Tennessee. And then my wife has a few friends. She's a flight attendant. And, you know, uh, and she has a few friends that literally are hood rat 
dying drive bitches. I say it that way, but I mean, listen, I'm not calling them because they have, you know, but I'm using that term, you know, the, the gangster term, they are dying drive. They ready, they ready to take the bullet. Just like, you know, OJ's. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't get it, man. I, and I want to ask them, okay. So at the end of the day, if you had Trump in office and you get a, let's say that the Democrats don't flip the Senate. So you got a, the same thing that we have right now, you know, Trump with a majority Republican Senate and Democrats. So now we're not really at a stalemate, but he can still get crap through. What laws do you want? I mean, how further do you want to suppress your fellow man? Yeah. These people don't, uh, don't really have a plan. Like I said, it's just this is their club. This is their guy. It's like they're rooting for the Giants here in New York or the Yankees or something like that. And, you know, win or lose, good or bad, I'm still a Yankee fan. and I'm still going to support my team. As for the polling, look, I think the 2016 polls um, were not as inaccurate as they have been portrayed. The analysis of them was very inaccurate. Um, but the polls themselves were within a normal margin of error. And the national polls were almost spot on. I mean, Hillary Clinton won by 2.5%. And the, the national average at the last day of the election was 3.25%. That was well within the mar margin of error. As for the polls this year, uh, Joe Biden has been trending a lot higher than Hillary Clinton has. And remember, people are voting now in most of the country, right? So while it, I agree with you, it's a snap snapshot in time, they're voting now. But I hear you. I know a lot of people who are ride or die with Trump too, my mother being one of them. And uh, my mother, who is an evangelical minister, uh, you know, who, who taught me the teachings of Christ. And I always say, you know, one of the, my argument about Amy Coney Barrett is, uh, you know, I don't know what Bible she read where they thought it's okay to take away health care from people. Jesus that I knew wanted to heal the sick, wanted to feed the hungry. So I don't understand the evangelical attraction to this guy because of one issue that they're not going to get resolved anyway. It's, it's, it's monstrous. I don't understand the evangelical attraction of this guy who is a blatant pig yeah. and has proven himself to be one his whole life. Yet they seem to just throw that out the window. They, the only thing that they want to support is this idea of protecting life, which really isn't protecting life because he doesn't give a damn whether or not you kill somebody of color or you kill someone else or you have a death penalty. He, he, yeah. he applauds that. So it's not, and, and I've really always you know, thought that most of these people who claim to be pro-life aren't pro-life. They're not even pro-life when it comes to infants. If they were, then they would try to shut down the fact that across America, every given year, there are somewhere close to a million fertilized eggs thrown out in the dipsy dumpster. Mm -hmm. Just die. And if you were so pro-life, then you would go around and impregnate yourself with one of these eggs that somebody had over and, you know, uh, uh, impregnated, you know, in a, in a fertility clinic. I'm, I know that sounds extreme, but these are, if they claim that birth starts when the sperm penetrates the egg, well, therefore, every year they allow millions of fetuses to be thrown away. Yeah. Send their children down there to put them in their body and say, well, I'll, tell, I'll have that, I'll birth that baby. They don't do that. So how pro-life are you really? Is it really pro-life? And I've never seen them really fighting to close down an abortion clinic in a minority neighborhood. It seems like they only want to close down the abortion clinics in other neighborhoods. It just seems weird to me. They're not pro-life. You know, this is just their issue. I, I mean, it, it's nonsense. If you were pro-life, 
You'd be pro healthcare. You'd be pro getting people jobs. You know, they care about the fetus while it's in the womb, but the minute it's born, you're on your own. Uh, you know, that is the nonsense of that movement. I, you know, I could even, I could respect it more if they were pro-life and they were like finding a way to keep babies and mothers, uh, you know, healthy and educated and give them a fighting chance in this world. But the Republican Party wants nothing to do with that. They want them to be completely on their own. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, even though you don't have any shoes. That's who they are. That's who they've always been. And abortion to them is just some way to trick some people who go to church who think that this is a life or death situation. And really, it's not. And the latest, you know, outrage, they try to talk about, well, you know, we're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade, but we really got to fight late term abortions. Late term abortions happen in less than one percent of abortions in this country. And when you think about that and think about how bad that is, the women who are, are generally having to make that very difficult decision to have a late term abortion, it's a matter of life and death for themselves in ninety nine percent of the cases. Most of these women have probably named that child, have bought furniture for that child, maybe even had a shower. And now they have to they're faced with this tough decision. And the Republicans want to politicize that so that the state has a role in that very major decision somebody has to make in their life. It should be between them and their doctor. And it is, it's just, it's despicable. It's and despicable. They, prefer, they prefer to see two deaths instead of one. I, I hate to say it that way, but yeah. like you just said in a lot of those cases, less than 1%. And it's because of the health of the mother. The mother may not survive if they carry that term, baby to term. So therefore they prefer to see two people die rather than, yep. it, it, just, it just doesn't, I don't know, man. Well, look, you know, now, I don't agree with a lot of, you know, Judge Coney Barrett's, you know, uh, views. And but it's hard to argue that she's not qualified. I mean, she is a bright uh, a jurist. Um, she's, you know, um, uh, educated. She understands what she's talking about. Do you think that the Dems kind of bought her maybe biting off too much by trying to, you know, couch her as the boogeyman? I don't know that they're trying to couch her as a boogeyman and it'd be hard to, she's, you know, a likable personality when you look at her and she's got a big family and she seems pleasant enough when she's out there, she's got, you know, legalistic sounding answers. Although again, I, I always go back to that originalist thing is nonsense. Um, but I, I think that the argument is not that not even really about her. It's a two point argument. The Republicans are hypocrites because of what they did to, to Merrick Garland and Barack Obama four years ago. And Amy Coney Barrett is a vote against the ACA because Amy Coney Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett said she'd be a vote against the ACA. She wrote a paper, gave a speech saying that Justice Roberts was wrong in his decision in 2012, I believe it was, that upheld the, the Affordable Care Act. So she is a clear vote against that. She may also be a clear vote against Roe v. Wade, uh, given some of the things that she has written and supported in her career. So those are the three points, I think, you know, trying to cast her as a boogeyman. I don't think, you know, I don't think personal attacks are going to work on her. I don't think that that's the right way to go. I would never advise that. And I haven't seen any mainstream Democrats do that. Now, the right wing has been trying to say that they're all attacking her Catholicism, uh, I went to a Catholic law school as well, St. John's University School of Law. I'm voting for a Catholic for president of the United States, and I was born Catholic. 
uh, and raised Catholic most of my life. So I, I, I don't know why anybody would think, right? I mean, I don't know why anybody would think that uh, we're anti-Catholic in the Democratic Party when Joe Biden, a practicing Catholic, is at the top of our ticket. Meanwhile, Donald Trump doesn't even know how to hold up a Bible or understand the difference between Second Corinthians and Two Corinthians. That goes that goes back to this whole idea of how evangelicals can respect a guy who probably never put a Bible in his hand until yeah. in the first picture, you know, the uh, Photoshop that he that he did. I, I think it just blows my mind. Um, I know, you know, when you really just think about the issue here, Lindsey Graham, I can't believe again that he, he's on tape saying, hold the tape against me, yet blows that off as if, ah, well, that was just something I said four years ago. Let's forget about that. That doesn't really matter. There's a reason why Jamie Harrison, his opponent for Senate, has raised $54 million. $54 million in a South Carolina Senate race is like five South Carolina Senate races, as far as I'm concerned. He's plenty funded right now. And 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 the polls are very tight there in a state that Lindsey Graham should win running away now that he doesn't have a primary. Uh, it, it's hypocritical. Um, Mitch McConnell's a hypocrite. Mitch McConnell only cares about power. Mitch McConnell blocked. I would have respected him better. If four years ago, rather than, you know, the nonsense about it being election year, him just saying, I'm going to block it because I can. And I don't want this judge to be seated right now. Instead, he made up this new rule that, oh, people have started voting in the primaries in February. So we can't have a pick right now. People are voting for president right now. They're going to put this woman on the bench. The fact that she wants to be put on the bench in this circum circumstance speaks volume about her, quite frankly. Absolutely. And I think, you know, but again, the play devil's advocate, you know, um, could she end up being a little bit more moderate than people think? There's always that hope, Montel. Uh, I think that we're finding that obviously Justice Roberts on certain occasions, I won't give him too much credit because he did support um, some stuff that further restricted voting, a case that further restricted voting last week. Uh, but uh, we've seen that with Justice Roberts. We've even seen Justice Gorsuch come out with a position that could be considered moderate or even progressive when it came to Native Americans in Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, judges can always surprise you. But I think that the fact that the Federalist Society vetted these judges and these justices gives me pause because they really only care about one thing. And this is a woman who clerked for Scalia, who has written extensively, um, yeah, I, I, I hope to be surprised, and there's always hope for that, but I, I don't know, man. I really don't. Hey, brother, I got to take a, a little break to pay a couple bills. He is the host of Aggressive Progressive Podcast. You know you've seen him on radio. You hear him on the radio all the time. Chris Hahn is here with us. I'm going to take a little break, pay some bills, be right back right after this. Well, welcome back to Free Thinking with Montel. Today's guest is a, a person I know a lot of you know. He uh, worked for Chuck Schumer on important issues from Homeland Security, domestic policy, economic development. He hosts his own podcast. It's called Aggressive Progressive Podcast, and he has his own radio show. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chris Hahn still with us. Thanks so much, Chris, for being a part of the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm also, you know, Donald Trump's least favorite Fox News personality, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I make sure I say that clearly. So you do get a lot of time on Fox. They won't invite me back anymore. You know, I was a part of, you know, I don't know if you remember this or not, but. Uh, right after or right during the Republican National Convention during 16, I literally am the person who called out, uh, head, I'm sorry. No, Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. I called out Bill O'Reilly for being the wife beater that he is 
And literally, I think that's what actually started his ball tumbling down the road because uh, from that point on, Fox has not allowed me back on their station. Well, they don't let Bill O'Reilly back there either, so you should feel good about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody should allow him back, but I guess he's fallen well. You know, he got a golden parachute and fell really well. Yeah. Which I think is the same thing that's going to happen to Trump here, even if he, uh, you know, if, if by some chance we luck out and he, we wake up on the 4th or 5th and find out that he's not the president, he's going to tumble well into a, his own little TV network and be really successful. I think because there's enough people who are going to listen to this bull crap daily. Hey, if you can get 5% of Americans to tune into your show, you're the biggest show in America. So I would imagine that he's going to wind up doing that. And I think he'll be a lot happier doing that. Frankly, I don't know how he could be happy right now. I mean, I, I if there's been the last couple of days, I've had some discussions. I, my wife kind of argued. I said, you know, I wonder if he's really deliberately trying now to lose because he'd prefer to be able to lose, give himself more to bitch about groan about, do his TV show, get five to 10% of the American public tuning in, get rich, and then go out with a bang, hanging out with his buddy Putin. Yeah, I, I think sometimes I think the same thing. I think he's trying to lose. Like when he when he unilaterally called off uh, the talks for the COVID-19 relief package, which you know single-handedly caused the, the layoffs of about 100,000 airline employees, you had to think to yourself, are you, what are you, what are you doing, man? Yeah, did you do that deliberately because you want them to vote against you? And then you can you can gripe all the way down the road with fingernail marks saying, they threw me out. It was unfair. It's going to be hard to gripe, though, if he loses 60-40, right? It's, it's going to be hard to gripe if he loses Florida, Ohio, and Texas, which and North Carolina, which, you know, he he's losing in Florida and North Carolina and Texas and Ohio are neck and neck. Yeah, I, well, again, I, I, I'm playing this weird one in my brain because I just don't want to believe the polls. I just think that, you know, when I walk out the door and I hear some of these idiots outside my door here in Miami say that they're still voting for him, it throws me. And I've been running into more of them voting for him than those who are not. So that's mm. a little bit. I wish, you know, the, that the polls represented some of the people I see. And I'm seeing people just average people walking around the streets. You know, I actually think, though, that that speaks volumes. You know, the Republicans like to talk about the shy Trump voter. I don't believe in that because we all hear these guys. I, I mean, if you just look at my Twitter feed, you'll see how not shy the Trump voter is. And you're saying it. You see people talking about it. Uh, you know, I, I'm a white dude in a suburban area. And a lot of the white dudes uh, want to talk about how they're voting for Trump. But every once in a while, I see one that it's not. And I'm pretty sure most of their wives are not. They might not be saying it, but they are not. And it's it's a and I also think it might be hard for, you know, a, a white middle aged guy in suburbia to go to his uh, golf club and say, yeah, I'm voting for Biden. Uh, but I think that there are a lot of people who are um, just because that this look at the end of the day, we could talk about how he's a racist. We could talk about uh, his failure of COVID-19. He's bad at the job. And I think people are exhausted by him personally. I mean, I am exhausted by it. I want to go a couple of days where I don't have to think about it. It's been great for my radio career. I don't have to plan a show anymore. I just go in and I talk about Trump for, for two hours. I used to have to dig up, you know, reporters to talk about things they were writing about and bring in guests. And I don't have to do that anymore. I, I you know, I, I just show up and talk about Trump. Yeah, I mean, and he's easy to talk about because it's just, I mean, so much. I mean, let's back up again, go back, you know, two weeks ago where he, you know, refused to say anything negative against white supremacy in the country. 
and still has not spoken out now. The fact that, I mean, I know he hates Whitmer and, uh, you know, yeah. he's one of happy in a sense to applaud the fact that there was a scheme to kidnap her. But now we found out that that scheme also, you know, uh, was a little wider than we thought. He was actually going after the governor of uh, North Carolina, right? Or Virginia. 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 Yeah. What do you think about that? And what do you think about the fact that there were, they, they talk about seven to 13, whatever. There were about 35 people at these rallies that this guy was holding to actually start the revolution. There are people out here getting together on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night talking about storming the Capitol. What do you think about this? The president of the United States needs to forcefully condemn that stuff. He can't play footsie with it by then going out and complaining about Gretchen Whitmer. And quite frankly, I don't know if you've seen this sheriff in Michigan talking about how, well, maybe they were just trying to do a citizen's arrest on her. I mean, there are too many people on the right that are responsible for this environment and they're responsible as much by their inactions as they are by their actions. When you're president of the United States and something like this goes down, you need to be very clear how inappropriate that behavior is. Otherwise, you are de facto encouraging future events very similar that might not have the same result that might lead to someone actually being hurt or killed. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But it, but again, I you know, what blows my mind is that the news story comes out today, and you're right, uh, you know, is Governor Northam, who is another Democrat, we literally hear the news come out today and no one says anything about it. It just didn't, it's like, boom, boom. Yeah. What is that all about? And, and so that goes back to that question I asked earlier. What is it that these people want? You want to drag Governor Whitmer down the street, hang her in, you know, effigy? You want to hang her through literally? And so then once you do that, what did you accomplish? I don't get what these people really want. Do they want to live in a world where, you know, dystopia world where we're eating out of garbage cans and shooting each other when we come around a corner? I mean, what is it that they want? I, they just want to win, Montel. And everything that happens that goes against their, uh, you know, any moral code that they may or may not have, they try to justify it. They try to excuse it from Donald Trump, right? They try to separate it from Donald Trump. I had a very long conversation, very heated conversation, with one of my best friends last week about this very topic. And it's like every single thing you throw at him. Oh, come on. That's not his fault. They, they don't blame him for COVID-19. I mean, COVID-19, you know, the pres president Obama had a program called aware where we actually had people in China, in Wuhan province on the lookout for emerging pandemics. Donald Trump cut that program. He's responsible for cutting that program. He is responsible for us not having somebody on the ground there. Remember, in January, February, and early March, he was praising China's handling of COVID nineteen. Nobody that, wants to. They want to. Yeah, they want to excuse it. Oh no, how how is he supposed to know? Come on, how could you blame him for that? You mean to tell me if Barack Obama was president of the United States, you wouldn't be going nuts? I know Sean Hannity. Okay, I've been on his show a million times. He discovered me as a pundit on national television, he would be going nuts. They were going nuts during Ebola when two Americans died for it. You want to tell me they wouldn't be going nuts now? They just give him an excuse. It's pure, unadulterated tribalism. And I mean, whatever happens in November, and I believe Joe Biden will be the winner, we have to be uh, we have to do something about it. We have to figure out a way to to move past this tribalism. I don't know how, but we have to try. 
And are you afraid though? If let's say let's say it's 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 the fifth day after the election. I don't think we're going to know election night. But let's say three days later, you've got some of the ballots that have been counted. The mail-in ballots have been counted, and whether, it doesn't matter what Trump says, but the mail-in ballots come in, and clearly Biden is the winner. Do you fear? I, I'm going to tell you. I was uh, my, my I had a uh, one of my older sisters was thinking about. I shouldn't have said that. My sister, <laughs> Macola, uh, my sister was going to come visit I and my wife, you know, uh, the weekend after the election. And I said to her, you know, babe, I don't, I don't think you should do so. I really don't. I think that there's going to be unrest in the streets. And as a person of color, I think you should be worried about traveling in this state that I'm in, which is Florida, right now, right around that time. I think that there could be just drive-bys, there could be, you know, acts of violence that just come out of nowhere because of that group of people who will then feel disenfranchised and Trump will then be urging on and spurring on to commit violent acts. I think it depends. Uh, if this is a 51-49 election and Donald Trump loses, um, there could be court cases and it could drag out until December and there could be a lot of unrest between now and then. But I don't think it's going to come to that. I think that it's going to be more like a 58 point win for Biden and a major sweep. And I think he's going to win the state of Florida on election night. It'll be called by 1130 Eastern time on election night. I also think he might win the state of North Carolina. They count fast. Um, and, and, and given those two things, it'll be very hard for him to justify legitimately that he won. And you can have a moment. I don't know if you remember 2012. I was working at Fox News in 2012. Um, Megyn Kelly was interviewing Karl Rove. The election had been called for Joe Biden. It's 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, and the election had already been called in 2012. And Karl Rove was trying to make a case how um, Obama was still going to lose because he was going by things. And she said, is that just math that Republicans tell themselves to make themselves feel better? I, I think you could start to see some uh, respected center-right journalists starting to come out and say, it's over. People who have been supportive of Trump. Uh, if they don't, they are betraying this country in that regard, and uh, they should be dealt with as traitors. And it's it's uh, it's a it's a real, but I I don't think it's going to come to that. I I think that I think the president's going to lose. I think he's going to whine, which he will, and he'll say it's rigged and he'll do his regular act. But he won't have a lot of people going along with him. At least other political people who have supported him in the past. If they do, you know, they really are committing treason. But I don't think that, you know, and some of them, they don't care. <laughs> you know, I mean? I, the, the Lindsey Grahams of the world, does he care whether or not you call him a treasonous? I don't think he does. I, you know, at some point they've got to care, right? I mean, I, I, you would think they'd cross that bridge by now and you make a good point that maybe, maybe they won't. But the destruction, look, here's the thing. People who have money in this country, people who care about our economy in this country have to understand that if the president destabilizes this country through his rhetoric post-election, it's going to have a dramatic negative effect on our economy, not just in the short term, but in the long term, because we could be in a situation where uh, the United States dollar, which is the world reserve currency right now, could forego that. And they could decide, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, they could decide that that shouldn't be the reserve currency anymore. And the impact on our economy from a situation like that would be dramatic. The reason why the dollar is the world 
reserve currencies because we have one of the most stable political systems in the world. It's been stable for over 250 years. So anybody who doesn't understand that, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm not saying the rank and file people who show up at the Trump rally understand that, but the Lindsey Graham's of the world, the Mitch McConnell's of the world, more importantly, the people that fund them, they understand that. And if the president is going to destabilize this dollar and destabilize our markets for it, I don't know how they go along with that, especially if it's clear. And I, I really think it's going to be clear. I know, I know you're discounting the polls and, and there's three weeks to go and anything can happen between now and then. But assuming, you know, this has been one of the most stable races I've ever seen. Joe Biden was up seven and a half points a year ago. He's up 10 and a half points today. Really, up until two weeks ago, he was up seven and a half points. It's been stable throughout the entire year. Um, I don't see it turning on anything. I don't see the next debate turning it. I don't see anything other than, you know, God forbid, a, a death uh, uh, of one of the candidates turning it. So I, I would imagine that. Uh, we're going to have an election night where we're going to know pretty clearly on election night who won. And and it's going to be Biden. Well, you know, you just said a death. And, and before that, uh, you were talking about it, which was a point I wanted to ask you a question. And I don't want to cut you off. But during the debate, the, the vice presidential debate, when Mike Pence brought up that hypothetical bullcrap about the Ebola, had Ebola been worse? What did you first off? Let me ask you. What did you think of the vice presidential debate? Because I really, my opinion was, and I know Kamala Harris, and you know, I'm, I'm, I just, I voted, so I will let everybody know. I sent in my ballot. It went in. And I voted for, you know, the Harris Biden ticket. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts. However, I was disappointed in her performance that night because um, one, I think she left too many things on the table that she could have gone after, and I think whoever briefed her that. Don't come off like, you know, a, you know, a, a moaning, bitching woman and don't, you know, uh, control yourself and those things. I mean, I think she had too many handlers trying to tell her what to do and what to say and got caught up in too many things in her head rather than just be the prosecutor that she is and prosecute a case against a guy who was sitting, you know, 12 feet away. That's what I felt she should have done. And I think she missed too many opportunities to do that. Um you know, and, and every every question that was asked, she could have turned the table on Mike Pence, popped him upside the head and then given him an answer. But she didn't do that. Mm. Um, but when he went off on this hypothetical about, well, if the Ebola had been worse and there would have been more, it wasn't worse. <laughs> so that's all she had to say. But you're sitting there talking about some crap, you know, if, if you know, you pull back the curtain and and Oz was really a wizard, then it would have been different, too. But it wasn't. Well, they want to point out, you know, Ebola and uh, the H1N1 uh, flu were similar situations and to try and, but most Amer every American who's living through COVID-19 does not remember a time when we had to shut down our economy uh, because of the swine flu. They don't remember us shutting down the economy over Ebola. I thought her performance was good. Uh, why? Because she didn't have, they're up by 11 points. Just don't make a mistake, right? She played rope-a-dope. And if you look at the polling that came out afterwards, forget about the number who won the debate. That's a stupid number. Nobody really wins a vice presidential debate. But if you look at uh, approval, personal approval, pre-debate and post-debate, she went up six points. That's that's a win for her. The one of the things I love about her is she's good with a knife, right? She could cut apart somebody in a debate verbally uh, like nobody else, I think, in, in the Senate right now. She didn't use that skill dramatically on Mike Pence, but she didn't have to. 
Mike Pence was talking nonsense. He, you know, he wasn't, you know, sometimes you just let it go. Let them hang. Oh, you think that the swine flu was as bad as COVID-19? That's not helping you in the polls. Keep talking, Mr. Vice President, you know? I, I, I just, I don't know why. I think I wanted, I wanted to see one or two more smacks upside his head. I, I think that's the thing about him that that's what bothers me about Trump-Pence ticket, that people think, well, if something happens to Trump, well, at least we have Mike Pence. No, if you something happens to Trump, you have an idiot. Right. And let's get this straight. He is an idiot. He is a complete idiot, and he was not ever known for being smart ever in his career. No, just because he talks, you know, softly, and he doesn't carry a big stick, he just talks softly, doesn't make him a, a viable presidential candidate. And then, you know, coming out of that also, what really, I thought the one line that I wanted to hear from her is that, you work for a person who just created a hotspot at the nation's home. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. I mean, you, she could have fired that one out there, Adam. End of debate. Nothing else needs to be said. You work for an idiot that now, what is it, 37 people have come down with COVID who work at the White House? That's really ridiculous. And we're not talking about that. No, I mean, it's it's uh, it's being talked about a lot, but it's not. it wasn't talked about in that debate. It probably should have been. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, it's very clear to me that, uh, you know, that she was out there doing what she could do to just keep from having Pence have a moment, really. She just didn't want Pence to have a moment. And he didn't. He now, the biggest moment of the debate, the only thing anybody remembers anymore is the fly that was on his head. Sit. And I can tell you something, that fly, I was, I, you know, my wife walked out. She couldn't take it anymore. My wife was gone. Remember? And, and, and I was like, screaming, baby, come here. You got to see this. Come here. She missed it. That fly was incredible. Yeah. You know, um, now, what do you think about his now Superman act? You know, he's running around saying, you know, I'm immune. I'm immune. I'm such a great physical specimen. And I don't see people laughing in this fool's face. You know, he's like, the uh, dotard was a good comment that, uh, or a good adjective that they used in South Korea or North Korea against him, because I think it fits. And I've been hearing some more that fits him really well. But this whole idea that now he is Superman, come on. He better hope to God he doesn't have a cold between now and the election, right? You live by the sword, you die by the sword. And COVID-19 is a very unpredictable thing. I know a lot of people who had it. Uh, He's an old man who is overweight. And, um, you know, granted, he has access to the best health care anywhere in the world. And and thank God that he's not sick at the moment. You know, I I don't want to see him die. I want to see him beaten. Uh, But... uh, but if he gets sick between now and the election, even if it's not COVID-19, if he has a sniffle, if he coughs, uh, everybody's going to be looking at that moment. It's, it's just, look, this is just, he's playing for his base. His numbers have been exactly the same for four years. 43.5% of Americans approve of Donald Trump. Today, same thing in 2017 when he took office. Um, he's never, I've never seen anybody not try to reach out to the other side. I worked for Chuck Schumer in his first term. Um, he won a close election against a guy named Al D'Amato, who was the Senator from New York state. And we spent, we spent four years, uh, six years trying to convince people who voted for Al D'Amato that they should vote for, uh, Chuck Schumer. And a lot of them did. He got 72 and a half percent in his first reelection, which at the time was a record in New York state. Um, I, I don't understand anybody who thinks that they could win by getting the same group of people out when you won by 75,000 votes over three states. I mean, especially when you're, you're, the average age of your voter is in the 60s. 
because you're a Republican and you appeal to people in their 60s. And, and some of those people are going to move out of those states and retire. And unfortunately, some of those people are going to die in four years. And that's a very small amount of people. And given the fact that he's actually lost support among people over the age of 65, which is really, Montel, where this election is being won right now, people over the age of 65 who think that the Republican Party doesn't care if they live or die are not voting for Donald Trump today. You see these, you know, it, it, that's his biggest loss. I mean, you know, we could talk about white college educated women all we want. It's voters over the age of 65, which he won by about nine points, which he's currently losing in most swing states. So uh, and he's losing nationally by about nine points right now. So there's been an 18 point swing. It's it's a it's and it, it's a clear there's a clear reason for it. It's COVID-19, though. It, it's COVID-19. Those numbers weren't there, uh, you know, a year ago. What scares me, though, also, is that uh, you've got the millennials and the Xers who might get ready to wimp out. Are you afraid that they're not going to show up? Well, Gen X won't wimp. I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, you know, millennials and Gen Zs. Uh, no, I think that they want to get rid of Trump. I, I, you know, everybody, I played football in college. I know you were an athlete as well, Montel. I was a place kicker. And one day I walked off the field after kicking a field goal that kind of just limped over the crossbar. And I'm, I got my head down. I'm walking off the field. My coach goes, what's the matter? You just scored three. Why are you down? I go, did you see that kick? It was horrible. He goes, Chris, they don't ask how, they ask how many. And I don't care if people are coming out because they want to vote for Joe Biden or they want to vote against Donald Trump. There's enthusiasm to get rid of Trump. And I think Gen Z and the millennials um, have that enthusiasm just to get rid of Trump. Now, I think there'll be a battle within uh, progressive politics over the next four years for the direction of progressivism. Um, but uh, that battle won't start until November 5th. Thank God. Well, you know, I'm almost out of time, my friend, but, you know, I, and I'm, we're going to try to turn this one around as fast as we can. And I'm going to really hope that this is you know, a battle cry for those to get out and vote. So if you had to make that get out and vote and, and shut a person up like me that, that says, watch out because this fool could still win, what would you say to people like me who have that weird attitude? Don't even make it close. You know, I know that we're all looking at this poll, these polls, and we're thinking, oh, it's great. I, I've been telling my, the, the, the title of my podcast this week is Don't Get Too Comfortable, right? I agree with you. Don't get too comfortable. Because no win is big enough against this guy. Let's embarrass him. Let's beat him badly. Because the bigger we beat him, the the harder it's going to be for Trumpism itself to survive this election. Because we don't just got to beat Trump. We got to beat Trumpism in this country. And uh, the bigger the victory, the better. And if you hate Trumpism, whether or not you like Joe Biden or not, whether you like Kamala Harris or not, if you dislike Trumpism, which I think probably everybody watching your show or listening to your show agrees with me uh it's time to time to come out and vote get out and vote show them let's show montel that you know they, they can have faith in this country and and bring uh bring about real change because this guy's got to go we all would really like to have a good quiet night's sleep at some point chris i can't say thank you enough for being here my friend and i i would just uh, add one little piece to this you know what people don't recognize is not only does trumpism have to go because it's tearing the country apart from within, but we are starting to lose the recruits that we need to man our armed forces to protect us from outside. Mm. You got to remember that you know less than one percent of this country puts on a uniform on their back and and raises their hand to serve to protect and defend this constitution. 
against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And those numbers are being beaten into really hard right now because recruiters are out there doing everything they can to try to fill the ranks. And most people think that the ranks are being filled easily. They're not. Because, you know, 45, 47% of our military is made up of people of color. Yeah. And they are not right now feeling like maybe that's a place that they need to go and work. You know what? Mm-hmm. To that, I would say all these guys out there dressing up in fatigues and carrying their guns around Michigan and other states, we have a perfectly good army. And if you want to join it, you should probably, if you want to, if you want, rather than dressing up and playing soldier, why don't you strap the flag on your shoulder and go out there and serve this country and stop bitching? <laughs> That's what you need. But then again, what I feel with them is the guys that, you know, I came in back in 1974 and we still had guys that had hoods in their lockers, you know, they would take them put those hoods on on Friday night. I don't need that guy in a foxhole beside Mm. me. I don't trust him when the rubber meets the road. But I trust those that are patriots and believe in preserving this democracy. And the only way we're going to do that is to get Trump out of office. I agree. If he gets reelected, I think America has seen its best days. Amen to that. Well, you've been listening to Mr. Chris Hahn, who is, again, the host of his own podcast, The Aggressive Progressive, and his own radio show every single day. Where can they find you, my friend, especially on radio? Because I wanted to make sure. Well, follow me on Twitter, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. My show airs all over the country in a bunch of markets. I'm on WABC in New York. I'm on uh, WRCN in New York. I'm on in Texas and Wisconsin. I'm all over the place. But I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. And The Aggressive Progressive podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. We need your voice every single day, Chris. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today. You've been listening to Free Thinking with Montal. Make sure you tune into the next edition.